David Carruthers is the owner and proprietor of St. Armand Papers in Montreal. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about how paper is made, the paper that's used in books. We've just gone for a walking tour of, of your facility. and no. uh, Okay. <laughs> so it sounds like a jail. It does. <laughs> this is no jail here. Everyone's free to do what they want to do, as long as they listen to you. Let's start at the beginning with the rags. To begin with, the rags come in from all over. I buy them on a couple of different criteria. They have to be pure fiber, no polyesters or nylons or latexes or anything like that that would denature the the fiber from my point of view. So things like spandex wouldn't, uh, I can't use things like nylon threads, I I can't use that, all has to be removed. So 100% cotton then? 100% cotton or linen or jute, sisal, they're all good bast fibers, hemp, linen, uh, straw, flax straw is one I use for certain grades. So within that rather broad range of cotton or bast, I can use uh, all of those for various kinds of paper. So where would you get these uh, things, these rags from? From coffee bags you can get uh, sisal or jute, depending on where the coffee's from. If if it's a South American type of coffee or Central American coffee, it's probably in a sisal bag, because sisal is a Brazilian fiber. So you'd get old ones that have got holes in them? Old ones, yeah, or just things that probably wouldn't be worth returning to Brazil where the coffee comes from. You can get a huge quantities of those for very little money. Uh, Jude again, it comes from Bangladesh, India, so coffee which originates in that part of the world, you'll get Borneo mountain type grades that you'll get will probably come in jute bags. Now, jute and sisal make... uh, they make a useful paper that's a soft paper. It's a, often very pretty. So we use it either alone or in combination with cotton or linen to strengthen and harden it. So those are mostly used in uh, in cover stocks. Okay. Cover stocks for books. And we do a lot of those in-house here, but we also sell them as flat sheets and they're sold... Uh, Usually in art supply stores. It's kind of card stock that uh, you might do painting, oil painting, or well, no, not, not on a jute bait. No, not probably on a jute or sisal paper. The oil painters, watercolor painters, pastel artists—they need something more robust. Okay. And it has to have for them. They have to have a harder surface, which will be more resistant to scuffing and to erasure and. Uh, the kind of abuse that a, a serious professional artist will often uh, uh, apply to the paper. So we'll we'll make a harder paper. The, pa- the cover stock that you would make, would that be used in mass-produced uh, paperbacks or typically short-run 
poetry books and is it yeah. glossy or not you don't do glossy or no I don't do glossy but on the other hand you can put a gloss a shellac or you can you can laminate a, a, a film like a polyethylene film to the surface of the the board and it uh, takes on an altogether different effect becomes waterproof for one thing you can wax it you can put a UV coating on it, things like that that go further than what I do here. Okay. I think in most cases these boards of ours are used either by letterpress printers or embossers, foil stampers, people like that. Some offset, but generally not. Not because the paper doesn't work that way, but it's because the paper's probably a little expensive for long runs. Occasionally it has been used for very fancy uh, pamphlets or catalogs that are designed to uh, tempt the carriage trade to do something that they would they might not otherwise think about doing. <laughs> well, and, and I would say the book business too. I mean, they want to, with the covers, they want to tempt the potential reader to pick up and buy it. But. That's right. But not through gloss, through sheer luxury. The sheer luxury of the uh, of the uh, of the appearance of the book, the touch of the book, will do the necessary seduction. You also mentioned that, uh, for, uh, which I thought was wonderful, the the fact that you used uh, denim to make a blue paper, and you would get that from you mentioned a, a clothier. Well, we use we use we get cotton from American Apparel in Los Angeles. That's one of the last sources that we have now. Uh, since the t-shirt industry has largely moved out of Montreal. Uh, I should say that the the garment industry is still very active using blue denim, making high-end blue jeans in in the Beauce. The what? The Beauce, which is a part of Quebec uh, known for its enterprise. The garment trade is still quite active down there, and they a lot of them still are manufacturing high-end jeans. Is that close to Montreal? Yeah, it's close. Well, it's south of Quebec City. Okay. Runs down towards the American border. There used to be a lot of garments made in Brantford and Edmonton and places like that using denim, but I don't know how active they are still. So you would get blue jean denim for blue. You'd get whatever color of paper you want to produce. You basically buy that rag color. Yes. I try to create a, a palette of potential colors using the rag I can get. In order to get a color that will match my catalog, I will have to blend two or more pulps. Okay. For example, you'll blend uh, white with maybe a dark green pulp. In order to get a color that we call spring green or lime green is another one. There you might add a little yellow to it. And in order to really nail the color, you need to sometimes use a little bit of dye just to tune it. So once you've got your, uh, and we'll, we're going to focus on the book, once you've got your rag, you then chop it up, put it in barrels, and send it over to what's called a beater. And then the beater basically smashes it up. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you could tell us what happens in that process. Well, what the beater does, it, yeah, you could say it smashes the chopped rag up, but more accurately, it teases it apart. It's a fairly, even though it's a violent-looking process, it's actually... A bit like a, what you would see a clothes washer do, sort of yeah, swirling 
back and forth. It teases it apart. It, it lightly pulls on the net or the woven fiber until it's pulled apart. It takes a long time. It's often up to eight hours to, to produce a batch of, say, a thousand pounds of dry fiber. So you're testing it every half hour or so and checking for the degree of disintegration in the pulp until such point as you judge it to be ready. And that's more a matter of experience. The operator, in this case Joanne Murray, she'll simply know when it's ready. It was a bit like a wet tissue, piece of tissue paper that comes apart without any effort. There's no integrity to the pulp until you put it together again as paper. So once we've got it in that state, we pipe it up to this great big vat. It's pumped up into a a large holding tank called a stock chest, and it's kept in agitation so that it doesn't settle out. And it's metered out onto the paper machine. The paper machine is basically a moving wire screen, and the subsequent stages of the paper machine will dry will remove 95% of the water that's in it. It starts off as about 99% water, and at the end of the machine, it's perhaps 6% water. To all intents and purposes, it's dry. And it, and it really has the consistency of, of, of a blotting paper. The pulp will, yeah. yeah. That's right. And that's typically how you store it, then, in these sort of whatever size you determine sheets. Then you... and. Incidentally, I'm speaking to David Carruthers, who is the owner-proprietor of St. Armand Papers in Montreal. We're now at the stage where we've got the dried pulp in sheets. Then you want to look at how you're going to use this paper, the end job. And what does that entail? Let's assume we're, we're making a book. Okay, looking at a book, you've got two papers You've got a cover, and you've got you've got the text block. They're both quite different. They have different jobs. We're talking about a paper, like I'd say, a perfect a soft bound, covered, soft covered book. Yeah. Although even a hard covered book has a wrapper on the uh, on the hard cover, which is supposed to do the same thing, namely protect the contents from from uh, moisture, from uh, wine spills, from this, that, and the other. And so the problem is, you've got to make two quite different papers. The text block, if it's going to be printed by a letterpress printer, as many of them are, as many of users of our paper do. This is because they're sh- typically short run, like uh, 25 Short runs, and the printer is after the maximum impact in terms of appearance. So you'll try to do the best design possible. You'll set the type in as interesting and uh, coherent a tight face as possible, as with you know within his resources or her resources. The proportions of the book, you know, are supposed to enhance the, the enjoyment of for the reader. It's supposed to be a book that is not too heavy, not too voluminous. It's supposed to be a pleasure to carry around with you and, and easy to easy to read, easy to handle, and, and perhaps appropriate for the content too. That's right. So no. in terms of the paper... So the paper has to be engineered to enhance the appearance and the uh, and performance. Performance of the ink? Performance of the ink, yes. A letterpress printer wants a paper to be fairly soft and 
a little bit absorbent, not too absorbent, but a little bit absorbent. So as to take the ink into the body of the text and yet not show the ink through from one side to the other. So the opacity of the paper is important too. Otherwise you'll get a very confused image one side to the other. You'll often be reading the page one while you're actually on page two. You'll be reading page one backwards through the, the sheet. What we're talking about here is the legibility, yeah. the ease ease of reading. That's right, ease of reading. And the, the way you can engineer a, a text paper to minimize show-through, as it's called, is to add a little chalk or clay to the pulp while you're running it. And the clay will, as you can imagine, fill little spaces between the fibers and will block the passage of light through the sheet. That way you can make a fairly lightweight paper with uh, little or no show-through. What about the potato starch you were talking about? Well, the potato starch, that does something else. That you use to vary the absorbency of the sheet itself. So when the press man uh, is, is probably using an oil-based ink, when, when he's do, using an oil-based ink, it will pull the ink off. You want the sheet to basically pull the, sh the ink off the letter form. Well, the flat part that's that's got the, the actual printed block. Well, the chase it. which holds the typography and holds the letter forms is inked on its surface. The paper is then pressed against that uh, chase and the uh, type block, and it will then accept or reject the ink more or less. And you want it to accept the ink with not too much pressure. You don't want the you don't want the impression of the text block or the typography to be too visible. So Even though we were talking about how, how lovely it is to run your hand over some books that uh, you can you can feel that it's letter pressed. Yeah, that's but right. You you do get a it's a, it's a almost a sculptural effect. That's only some others. Well, you don't want it on both sides because after all, if you're if you're printing too heavily into a into a soft sheet then you're going to see the impression from the other side of the sheet, and that's going to set up some confusion potential. You don't want that. When you're printing on one side, I think it's acceptable to use more pressure because it gives you this sculptural effect. Yeah. But then you're not competing with what's on the page two. Okay. So uh, I think that's acceptable. Now, in terms of uh, quality of printing, maybe you could tell me what what's the best paper qualities of the paper that's best suited to make a book from the letterpress well, printer? It, it should be as smooth as possible so that the press man doesn't have to use too much pressure to get a clean impression of his type. You don't want any white spots showing in the type, the line of type you want. In the actual letters themselves? The actual letter form itself should be a clear dark black. Black, yeah. yeah or whatever color is, is, is chosen. What about laid paper, though? I mean, that, that's attractive as well. Laid in, paper is beautiful paper. In, in it's, books, too. It's very beautiful. It just completes the the harmony of a book, if you can use a laid paper. And these have the lines that are sort of visible. Uh, yeah, they're visible lines, and because of the, uh, in the case of a handmade, it's a, it's the it's a sort of a legitimate laid line in the sense that it's the reflection or the impression of the mold surface. 
In the case of, of a machine-made paper, it's artificially induced by the use of a dandy roll, which rolls on top of the wet pulp as it's formed on the, uh, on the wire. But you said earlier that the smooth paper is the best for the letterpress. Yeah, well, book. it can still be smooth and, and laid. Laid is, it is after all, an, an impression in the paper, but it, nece- it doesn't necessarily mean that the paper is not smooth to the touch. Oh, okay. But if exaggerated, it can interfere with the, with the, the press work. Okay. They still have this, uh, this interesting feature of a chain line and a wire line. On, on vertical and horizontal. Yes, yeah. vertical and horizontal. And that is the way the paper molds used to be made until the 1780s. So all papers were laid because simply because they didn't know no one could weave wire into a wove pattern. Since 1780, papers are generally speaking wove giving you a smoother appearance, a sort of neutral appearance, but uh, they don't have the they don't have the, the harmonious look of a, of a laid paper. I prefer those myself. I'm speaking with David Carruthers, who's the proprietor of St. Armand paper in Montreal. We've taken the paper up to the point where it'll be printed and then converted into a book, and that's our that was our mission. Is there anything else that you can add to our understanding of the process of making paper for books? Well, in the case of a cover stock, it requires, it has to work. You actually have three sorts of paper in a book. You need a cover, an end leaf, and a type or text block. Taking it as we move out outwards, the end leaf is the piece of paper which will hold the block into the cover. And it's usually, it has to be particularly strong. It has to be able to hold the book within the cover. Now, what we're looking at here is the, uh, I picked up a copy of the, the Dance of Death by W.H. Auden. It's a hardback, but the paper is, the end paper is, is stuck to the, uh, the actual board. It is continuous across the front of the book. So it's glued to the inside cover, yeah. and then it extends outwards, but holds the text block by a line of glue there, uh, in just inside the just inside the gutter of the uh, page one. Then there's another end leaf on the outside. Some of these are decorative, some of them are not decorative. Yeah, some of them this marbled. Case, it's, it's quite a it's quite a plain one. Yeah, but you can feel the difference between it and the pages that are. This is a very long fibered paper, and it isn't designed for letterpress. Yeah, it's coarser. It's coarser, and Thicker. it's designed to hold the book, even though the book might be upright. So it's the tension of the book's weight is fully on the uh, on the end leaf when the book is held upright. So the book is the integrity of the books, the structure of the book anyway, is it relies on the, the end leaf and the structure of the spine, which is inside the the outer cover. Mm-hmm. In the case of this cover, this is a this is a buckram. It's uh, pasted onto boards, and with it is the end leaf holding the buckram to the board. On the inside. You don't see. Yeah. The uh, the spine of the book contains all the magic that a bookbinder will, all his art, or her art, will be in the actual structure, hidden from the eye. 
behind the dust jacket. Behind the dust jacket and also behind the spine of the book. The cover itself, in this in this event, it's a, it's a hardback, but if you took a soft-covered book, that cover has to do the job of the hardcover. So it has to hold the end leaf, it has to also conceal the binding from wear and tear, and it has to protect the text block from all manner of gravy stains and like. So frequently in a trade publication today, it's you'll see it's rather heavily varnished. So you get the you either get a varnish or a plastic uh, laminate on the surface, and that is both good and bad because what it does it sets up a two-sided cover, and it doesn't work in the same way as the rest of the book. So you'll a moisture will be absorbed more readily through the inside of the cover than the outside of the cover where it has been plasticized or varnished. You'll often see the book cover of a trade edition begin to curl against and in the direction of the machine grain. That can be a little bit uh, unpleasant to look at and impractical to carry around. That what you need to do then is stick it into your bookshelf and squeeze it tightly between two other books. Yeah, you can do that. I hope that it will uncurl. <laughs> or you can tear off the cover and, <laughs> and bind it properly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Binding properly then means what? The book should be a, a harmonious whole. The cover shouldn't be trying to fist fight its way off the book. So, so what, how do you make the harmonious whole then? Well, you you uh, you build a cover. If it's a soft cover book, the front and the back of the cover should be the, should be no different, so that the well, absorption. Varnish both sides, or you could varnish both sides, but they probably wouldn't be varnished mm -hmm. both sides because that would affect the glueability of the end leaf. So the best thing to do is to not glue or varnish both sides, but to make a paper that's robust enough to not to absorb water or sweat or gravy, but can have the uh, ability to be wiped clean, and it should be able to resist scuff and soiling. What up we to look? a point. I mean, right. a certain amount of it's scuffing and, and uh, soiling is, of course, just part of the look of a well-loved book. Yes, right. <laughs> Got to read it. <laughs> and you don't have to leave it in a clamp yeah. for, in order for it to sort of behave itself. So what kind of paper, then, is the best for a cover, in your opinion? Well, the best books, of course, are still hardbound. Right. But if we have to go with the, with the paper? Well, with a heavy... with a In, a, in our case, we use... Uh, some cases just a single piece of heavy uh, handmade which uh, it'll work with the book because the handmaids have no grain so you're not worried about the, the cover working in a different direction to the book. Secondly we'll sometimes use a duplex paper. We'll glue a paper, two papers together. Maybe they're in combination with a look of the uh, combination of colors or maybe it's just to add the body it needs for uh, long use. We have both. But in the case of a duplex cover, you're gluing two sheets together. The glue is inside, so you're not adding moisture to one side or the other. You're adding it to both sheets at the same time. So it's, no, it's not trying to get away from the book. So it, lays, it stays flat and it'll continue to uh, it'll add stiffness because it's two thicknesses. 
Then the other thing is it has to be able to be printed. You have to find a way of printing the cover to identify the book. So you've got these features. You've got It's got to be robust enough to resist scuffing. It has to be waterproof enough or water resistant enough to prevent the uh, book from getting soaked in a, if it's dropped in the snow or in, the, in a puddle. And thirdly, it has to be you could even add another one. It has to be able to be printed by whatever process is used. Usually, um, a book looks best if it's printed with foil, so you get title. It looks like it's metallic. And then it should it should look like a, a piece of art. It, in other words, the book should the cover should be really beautiful. You're talking about the paper itself. Yeah. You're suggesting it should have a pattern. Not necessarily a pattern, but that's certainly part of it. It could be a texture, either a felt mark, or it could be embossed with uh, something fanciful, or it could be uh, it could just simply be a stark source of information, just the title, the author, and perhaps the publishers. But again, uh, the, the type of paper, the look, obviously would be the content would be taken into account when you're looking at the, the look of the paper. I think so. I think that's that's a powerful advantage. You can't interpret an entire book by its cover, but you should be able to at least lead the intelligent reader uh, at least part way into the book. I imagine uh, economics has something to do with it, too, of course. You know, I mean, if you don't have that much money, uh, you're going to have to go with sort of a plain white, black, and red ink kind of. If you can do that, you're already. You obviously have a little bit of money if you can print two colors mm. letterpress. It's two passes through the press, so and it has to be registered between passes. So you're already pushing your budget if you're going to use two colors on white. Secondly, white, it's a white color, a white colored cover. You you got to remember that uh, people's hands are sometimes dirty. Yeah, and unless you're going to issue white gloves with the, <laughs> with the uh, as a part of the book, usually you're going to have to uh, seal the cover in some fashion, either with a piece of waxed paper or a piece of tissue or some to cover the uh, from the uh, from the elements. Mm-hmm. So, do you think we've covered the the process? We've covered the papers that go into a book. Okay, great. Thanks so much for the your time. The only thing you haven't done is the bookmark. <laughs> the bookmark, which is what you do as well, I assume. I suppose we do, but we, you know, it's done, it's often done by letterpress people who are, who do books. It's part of the art. The art, yeah, yeah. The craft. It's part of the art, the craft, yeah. yeah, the yeah. Bookmark. Well, thank you very much for uh, leading us through your craft, and uh, best of luck with the company. Thank you very much. It's thirty years old, and I hope we'll have thirty more, even if I'm not around. Very good.